The American Council of Blind Lions, ACBL, is the affiliate that roars, and that's no lion. ACBL holds monthly conference calls and ACB convention events that help people who are blind or visually impaired become more involved in local Lions clubs. Find out more. Call 502-897-1472 or email lions.acb at gmail.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello. Welcome to ACB History Book Discussion Group. It is December 14th, and it is raining where I am. I'm cold, and I'm thinking of all of you. When I tell you that it's 54 degrees in Highland, California, and raining, and you're probably thinking, what a wimp I am. Anyway, um, this morning, I uh, or afternoon, whatever, wherever you are, um, I would like to uh, welcome all of you. And as our host this, this, uh, this time around, <laughs> we have uh, Chanel. Alan, and as our streamer, we have Larry Gassman. Thank you, Chanel and Larry. And Chanel, if you could give the information out about raising hands and muting and unmuting, etc., that would be wonderful. I would be happy to. The very first thing you will need to do in order to participate is get the got it button. This meeting is being recorded for safety and security. So you will need to tab or shift tab to got it or on your iDevice, flick right, then press enter or double tap. If you wish to raise your hand on the PC, you will press alt Y. Then to unmute, once I call on you, Alt A. All of these are toggles, so once press toggles it on, another toggles it off. If you're on your Mac, raise your hand with Option Y, unmute with Command Shift A. For anyone using the iPhone or any iDevice, uh, raise hand is under More in the lower right-hand corner. Unmute is in the lower left-hand corner. And finally, for anyone using a telephone keypad, your raise hand command is star 9 or star Y, and your unmute is star 6 or star M. So there you go, and back to you, Christy. Thank you very much. Very interesting that, yes, star Y and star M, because if you text, that's the letter codes. Yep. So... uh I took a little break, and this is going to be the last um, uh, call until January 4th, which is the birthday of Louis Braille. I was going to call him St. Louis Braille. (laughs) Um, So would like to find out how people uh, did as far as catching up and Basically, what is your impression, your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions, etc., uh, leading up to um, everything before Chapter 12? So that's including the beloved voices. 
in chapter 11 and the talking book in chapter 10. So what, what would you all like to talk about uh, up to chapter 12? Now is the time to get the hands in the air. Oh, all right. We have Livy. Yay. Thank you, Livy. I was wondering if you were going to join the call. Welcome. You'll need to unmute. So Alt A. There we go. There you go. There, there we go. go. Um, the thing I could not understand, that's my Fenwick barking in the background. Um, the thing that I was really blown away with was how much work it took back and forth and back and forth. You had to have a scorecard to keep up with all these people doing this and doing that. For the production of the the machine and the records and the you know everything that they did, it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, this is background stuff that we as users had no clue what was going on on our behalf. So that's all this, I got to say. It was just thank you. This is true. So, um, what what? astounded me was RCA and, you know, the different companies. Um, I, I knew about, I knew about the um, telephone, um, the telephone pioneers. Uh, and, and I was thinking about, are they still involved? And um, thinking about the different uh, types of prototypes that um, were being invented, and as far as as early as they were thought about and, and invented, and then the uh, uh, recordings for the blind was I thought that segment was pretty interesting um, back in uh, 1971. I was using recording for the blind and um, everything was on tape. And that was really interesting to try to thread the tape onto the reel. And younger folks have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Do we have any other hands? Not at this time. Come on, guys. Don't leave me hanging. Um, what did you all think about Robert Bray with, uh, no, Robert Atkins, I'm sorry, with the Braille Institute and his uh, manipulating, I thought it was quite interesting how um, he got the American Foundation for the Blind to pay for his uh, trip and the engineer's trip um, to show off his or showcase his product. Um but then he started adding, oh, I want my wife to come and so-and-so to come. And wow, I mean, um, this was uh, reminiscent of his, of 
the the Braille books um, controversy and the um, the the Braille type, and then now here he's doing the same kind of thing with the um, with the the player that he wanted to introduce, and he wasn't successful. I wonder what that uh, device would have looked like or would have done um, differently. Everything would have had to have been retooled again because the talking book machine was um, so prevalent. And then um, who can, who remembers the variable speed control? I remember that little tiny device that you could plug in and then they started adding it to um, the various um, tape players, cassette players, uh, and how fast people could read. They said that the children um, tested could only read at, um, I think it was um, one and a half times the speed, and I'm reading that, listening to that as I have my Victor device uh, speed control all the way up to the fastest it can go. And um, and I remember how choppy the uh, speed compressor was when I used to try to do that when the speed compressors were first introduced in the 70s. Any other uh, hands? Not at this time. I'm going to start calling on y'all. Come on. What else, what else were you thinking about or what chapters did you all get up to? All right, Livy has her hand up again. Okay, Livy. Good. Unmute. There we go. Now can you All hear right. me? Yep. Okay. Yes. Um you know, it was funny because when they were talking about RFB and and recordings for the blind and you know, I can remember being in college and having, thank God I had a, a, a Sony reel-to-reel recorder, which I, I don't know if I still have it or I sold it or what, but Sony um, I mean, I used that sucker for years. And, um, you know, I remember the varial speed. Now, even to this day, I still cannot do it in chipmunks, you know, speed. Um, I just, I can't. Um, but you know, that was just really, really interesting. And the thing that I didn't understand was why didn't they survey we users to get an idea of what we wanted and what we would like to see in some of this stuff? They never did that to my knowledge or am I off base? Uh, I don't think they did. No, I don't think they did either. It was, and they should have. Yeah, it was now, mostly I mean, now workers for the blind. They they uh, surveyed the 
the workers for the blind. I know that they did get some letters yeah, um, from patrons, but yeah. Um, I was kind of also thinking about, you know, they were talking about 35 books, 35 different titles were recorded. And I'm thinking, wow. And then they said, and people read up to 40 books a year. And I'm thinking, 40 books a year? When I was in eighth grade, the summer between eighth and ninth grade, I read 100 books. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, And now it's like, I probably read a good seven books a week now. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and, and more and more, I'm relying on Bookshare for my reading titles because uh, NLS Bard just is not uh, fast enough, does not um, record books uh, current enough. But thank God we have it. And then um, I didn't know this, and I read this. This is my third time reading this uh, section about the talking books. And um, they had recorded books for kids in school with sound effects and, um, and music in the, in the 30s and the 40s. And um, they talked about how um, blind folks could be transported to uh, theaters in their, in their minds um, mm-hmm. through the talking books, through the plays uh, and um, the various uh, sound recordings. Um, I, the, the, the one book that I remember um, was Curious George. And I remember uh, 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 the sound of a fire truck and something else. Um, that's my earliest recollection. And I think I started reading books in like 1958, 1959. Who started reading books any earlier than that? You have a couple of raised hands. Okay, thank um, you. Beth had her hand up earlier but lowered it. So for now, we'll go to Herbie. Okay, Herbie. You know, I wonder if the recordings of those early books still exist. That would be kind of really fascinating oh, to yeah. listen to how they did I it. I know. Back then, I'm going to have to look on YouTube or something. Um, but, you know, it brings up an interesting point that we have today in audiobooks, you know, like, because <clears throat> there is a debate going on, is immersive audio a good thing or a bad thing? And it kind of even ties into audio versus Braille, because it's like, People advocate for Braille because you get to put in your own interpretation versus an audiobook with just a narrator. Then you get um, their interpretation. But then you go into I mean, what they did back then was probably just like the sound effects or whatever. But when you start adding in stuff like that, then you get what they want you to get out of it, um, which I personally don't mind. I mean, you know, because I think it can there's a place for all types of uh, books for different reasons, but I don't mind, you know, when they do try to do that type of thing today, I think it's kind of cool, but um, it sounds like those uh, 
uh, I mean, I'm not surprised they did that type of thing because you know they were already doing, you know they were doing radio dramas as early as you know the 20s once voice came out for radio. So right, um, that's totally not uh, surprising that they did that. That would, like I said, be kind of uh, cool and. It was just really interesting too, you know, because on Bard, you know, they do have the old, a lot of older books from like the sixties and stuff like that, and then you can just hear like the way they were recorded back then, and it's, you know, it's like in some ways it can be a little bit hard to hear them because you've got, you know, they can be really distant and echoey. On the other hand, though, some narrators were really good. Um, as well, too. So it's kind of really uh, interesting that um, how some of them still survive today. But, uh, uh, you know, and then two things. One, you've got to share your secret with reading seven books a week. How do you do it? Do you just like have hyper? Um, do you just go like into an alternate dimension when you re- want to read so time slows down or whatever? Or. Uh, how do you do it? And then you mentioned, so like, did you say that you actually had to attach these speed controllers to your tape recorders back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. You had to plug them in. Wow. Um, so could you, did that work on like, do you remember that? No, I don't. Larry, Livy, Nellie, do you guys remember that? (sighs) Vaguely. You had to plug in the little, it was a little device. um, To speed up. Plugged in. To, to speed, speed it, up. I do remember it. I can't remember anything about it anymore. I just know we used to. I know. I don't and, remember that at all. And um, then I know on the Sony 105s, they used to have that speed up. You you had you pull the button up, the, the dial up, and turn it to the right, and it moved up the speed by increments. Right. Um, but it was a specially and, equipped Sony 105. It wasn't the normal one that would send right. out commercially to people. Right. And and I I never... I I borrowed somebody's. That's how come I knew about it. But when I was um, a senior in high school, my my I I bought with my aid to the blind money um, two things. I bought when I well, actually in when I was sixteen, so it was nineteen sixty eight sixty nine. I bought a um, an electric typewriter from Sears, and I bought a an Ampex tape recorder um, where the speakers unhooked from the machine um, and then I, and and then I could use those until they had the variable uh, speed where they they stopped recording at the normal speed and then they started recording at the slower speed and then you had to get a four track recorder um yeah oh so they did not always record at the uh slower speed oh, wow. no oh no and just so you know musi has had her hand up for a little okay. while musi you want to join the, the discussion can you hear me yes, yes. okay well uh, nobody's mentioned the old vinyl records i actually listened to them for a year before i got my first cassette audio player <laughs> do you yeah, um, they were vinyl, and after that, they were ebatone. But they were vinyl at first, and they were at thirty-three and a third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were I mean, they were at thirty-three and a third. But I liked it because I played my 
my other albums, my music yeah, so albums, did I. on the talking book machine. So did I. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, those were exciting times. And I will say, but it's amazing how things are so fast now with the digital. But anyway, I wanted to say I enjoy a good reader. I mean, I used to read, um, but I enjoy a good reader that can do the different voices. Yes. I just think that's uh, enchanting and... Uh, Anyway, that's all I have to say. I have a vote for uh, uh, listening to a lot of books. I probably read um, two or three a week. Yeah. I think that's pretty average. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So, thank you. Thank huh? you. So Herbie wanted to know what my secret is. I don't know. I'm just always reading. Um, and Beth has her hand up when you're ready. Okay. Just want to let I'm, you know. I'm always reading. Um, I read pretty much. Um, at the higher speeds, um, if it's technical, I'll slow it down. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just always reading. Um, if I'm in the car, if I'm going on, going to church, riding the bus, whatever, I'm just, I always have my Victor with me. Um, Beth? Yeah, I also liked the uh, vinyl 33 and a third uh, records, and then they became 16, right? And then there was even a speed on the on the talking books for speed eight. I don't think I ever got any of those eight no, um, speed um, eight records. I I could have these the 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 sound prints that are what did they call them sound sheets. We're at eight, I believe. Yeah, the Evertone sound sheets, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, were those oh, okay. the flexible discs? Yeah, those were the flexible They discs. were 16 yeah. and two-thirds, and then they oh, changed it okay. to eight. okay, then I did. Yeah. Then I did get them some of them yeah. that sounded. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Herbie has his hand up again. Herbie? Um, you know, it would have definitely been interesting to, I wish they would have still put their uh, stuff on vinyl. Um but because uh, there was a time I had access to a record player, but not a flexible disc player. Be, but what's really interesting is I actually still had magazines that were produced on flexible disc up until the year 2000. Wow. Yep. Um, I had, let's see, there was a couple magazines I could get on tape back in the 90s. At first, you had to send them back. And then, like, several, then, like, in the late, like 99 it was like oh now we're gonna send them to you in these envelopes and you can keep the tape that was totally revolutionary and uh but yeah there was like several like ellery queen's mystery magazine um was one and analog science fiction in fact um i used they were always on flexible disc and then they in the year 2000 they switched those over to tape so that was rather interesting so that was you know so i still had flexible discs in the 90s so I had in uh, one of our radio stations came out with a Halloween costume contest and I had all these flexible discs and I had no idea. I mean, you know, what do you do with them? Right. So we made our son who, and this was like in 1979, I believe, um, we made a costume and we called him Michael the Music Man and we put KGGI, which was our station, um, 
And so we got mentioned on the radio because someone saw our son's um, costume as Michael the Music Man. It was this box, and then it, it had all these records <laughs> in, you know, like in the um, displayed, like he was a disc jockey. So that's that's uh, our flexible disc claim to fr- to uh, to stardom. <laughs> Any other hands? Not at this time. All right. So those were interesting times, and we had a um, we had in the in the the voices we had actors, and I never knew. And I always wondered why I kept hearing these talking book narrators say that they were, you know, involved in acting or in singing. And I never really understood. That's how they recruited. They recruited actors and, and, uh, and singers and, and different people as their narrators. Um, and I always wondered why the, the, Readers from RFB, which became RFB and D, Recording for the Blind, and Dyslexic, which is now Learning Ally, which computer pronounces Learning Alley, um, why they, their voices were so different. And the voices from, from, from Learning Ally are, were so, uh, uh, irritating, I guess. Um, and why I thought that the voices from NLS were much better. But now today, I'm having difficulty reading some of the voices, some of the narrators for like, I was trying to read C.S. Lewis books, and I cannot handle some of those voices. Anybody want to talk to that discussion herbie other, raised his hand okay and the other thing thank you the other thing is that we have um we continue we've had the the war between sound versus finger reading um and i think that war will continue go ahead herbie so I know what you mean. Um, I mean, the, of course, the big difference between the NLS narrators and the learning ally narrators or RFB and D back in the day was you a had a preferable of uh, you know of narrators with RFB and D depending on the yes. length of the book, and they were volunteers that weren't <laughs> necessarily professionally trained. And you can have all sorts of interesting things happen. And when you don't have good editors, you know, I've had books where there was people sneezing. Yeah. Um, but still, <laughs> it can be interesting. Um, but I do find I like to get a lot of books from Audible um, whenever I can for two reasons. One, it, you know, it's great that we have Bard and there's a lot of books on there. But sometimes, you know... You know, the professional audiobooks have better narrators, and you don't have to deal with the tape hiss if it's an older book a lot of times. Yeah. And I'm kind of, I guess the one thing I'm disappointed about with Bard, and maybe it's more of the codec or just the way their tapes are done, I, you know, especially 
uh, you know, some of their older books that they put on Bard back in the day, they don't do as good of a job of removing the tape hiss, and they can get a little bit annoying. Um, Such as reading the, the this book on Talking Book. Yep, uh, I haven't read it, but I can imagine. Um, but yes, definitely, of course, you're probably not going to find this book on Audible, so... <laughs> no, nope, but um, you can find it on Bookshare. Yep. You know, and I think, too, it's when you... I think also what can also be a factor, too, though, is um, if you grow up with... And you're used to <clears throat> certain narrators, and then they get new ones, and now you have to accustom yourself to them, you know, I think that can also be a factor as well, so... Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Oh, and also one last thing. I don't know if it's in a, any better or not, but I know NLS used to have like the complete Chronicles of Narnia, but they were read by an American, whereas you can get professional versions actually read by British people, British. which is more fitting because, you know, it's a British author, and I think the British accent conveys the book better, you know, from the, it's more from the right perspective, if that makes right. sense. So what did you all think about when um, they said for about uh, Gregory Peck? Oh, he's a he's a darn nice fellow, but um, <laughs> they <laughs> turned Gregory Peck down for reading. I thought that was pretty funny. All right. So um, going into chapter 12, which is a share in general welfare. So who wants to start talking about chapter 12? You know, did the blind have a special uh, place? Do we have this entitlement or do we not? Who, Who read chapter 12 that would like to talk about that? Did anyone read chapter 12? Uh, if any of you are talking, I had to mute some of you. So go ahead and raise your hand and then, okay, Livy, go ahead. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, I was just surprised and, you know, again, this was another instant. Finny, will you hush? Um, this was another instance of behind the scenes stuff that we had no idea uh, that was going on and it took how many years, however many years to, um, you know, figure the aid for the blind out and, and all this other stuff. And I can remember when I got mine, I hadn't even, I didn't even know cause my folks signed me up and stuff and I never did anything other than here, sign this and you know, whatever. But, um, just the, 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 you know, the uh, back and forth of the different administrations with the congressmen and senators that were trying to get it uh, organized and get it going. Yes. And even now, um, you know, they're still debating now even whether or not uh, Social Security, um, you know, some of these uh, rules that they have from way back when needs to be updated because they're so antiquated you think yeah like is it still when i last i was on um ssi it was the first 
um, $65. And then after that, um, well, they would take the 20 out. And after that, they would take 65 out. And after that, it would be 50% of, you know, dollar per dollar, 50 cent per dollar. So if, if it, or, I, or the, the one for two for one. Yeah. And for every dollar, they would take a dollar. So is it still like that? I think it is, but I'm not positive. I think it is, but I'm not positive. Can anyone speak to that? Oh, Herbie has his hand up. Herbie? I want to say the amount's less now than $65. I think it's like 50 It's been a while since I've worked. But then it's also a whole lot different if you actually own your own business where they go based off of your yearly profits. So from the previous year. So let's say you have a really good year one year. Well, the next year they're going to take your uh, profits out from that previous year. But let's say you're having a bad year that year. Well, you can't make up for it with SSI until the following year. So it's that's even more. That's crazy. Maddening. Um, I dealt with that and that was not fun. But yeah, I wanted, I think it could be a little bit I could be wrong, though, with the amount, but yeah, as far as I know, though, it's still the same, and it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting setup. Oh, and they also take away your social, they also, um, if you get married, that also affects the amount you get as yes. well, so. Yes, I remember um, two things. I remember <clears throat> getting married to my husband, and we made a whole $230. No. Yeah. 200, about $230. No, it was, uh, about we, we made $265 each. And so, um, in, in, they combined it at that time, we made like, uh, $530 or something like that. And, we were just like, wow, that's a lot of money <laughs> back in 1974. So, yeah, um, that was interesting. And then, and then the other um, thing is that I remember is when we had our children, we have one that's uh, homegrown and one that's handpicked. And when we were receiving um, aid for the children, Social Security tried to ding us and and take our um, money away, even though it was, um, you know, we we were not doing anything wrong. But because we, quote, commingled funds, in quotes, instead of having two checking accounts, we had one. And I remember Mr. Smith from the Social Security Administration saying, I'm in the driver's seat. I will determine what happens to you. And it it really was like that in the early 80s, which I hope it's not like that now. But it was pretty scary to have one person... um, Lord it over you that he could make those decisions about you. I don't know that it is any different today. Um, 
I remember, for instance, there was a whole lot of confusion. For instance, when Chanel and I got married, you know, you have to go through Social Security, like, to report the marriage and to, um, you know, like, have them change over your last name and all that, because we chose to, you know, have the same last name. And so, yeah, we did have to deal with a caseworker, and there was a lot of confusion and... Because several months later on, Social Security tried to get us in trouble for something, or we weren't getting... I forget the details now, and found out that the caseworker, the Social Security office, he was so far behind that he'd not updated the system yet with our details, and we had no way of knowing that. So one person can definitely still be a factor in something i think there are appeal processes of course though i don't know if you had those back then i do think there are some today but you know they're going to look at um you know the original person and why they you know chose the way they did and yeah i do think that it's still as far as i know at least it is still the same way today thank you herbie would anyone else like to make any comments on chapter 12 It was a quite interesting chapter. It was, to me, it was a bit confusing. Um, It, uh, a lot of names were mentioned. Uh, Robert Bray and Robert, I think it's Robert Barnett and other names were mentioned. And a lot of the, um, the Rehabilitation Act of 19... 43 they talked about um um differences being made um in terms of um people blind people working um and uh i will just say it sure is different now than it was back then but they were fighting since the 1920s and the 1930s, and it just took so long to get things done. So moving into Chapter 13, the Showcase of the Blind um, was talking then more about the employment uh, opportunities, the um, the um, determination of what blind people could and couldn't do, And um, in terms of they had been talking earlier about through the uh, WPA, um, how some blind folks were working, making the talking book machines um, in um, doing some things through national industries for the blind, um, having what, what they called blindness occupations. And then they did a survey. Um, but the survey missed a whole lot of things that blind people were doing. Uh, and when they, when they really delve deeper into what blind people were doing, they found out that we were doing quite a few things, um, being entrepreneurs, being clinicians, um, doing, um, um, 
things in the in the engineering and automotive industries and uh the big focus here in this chapter was also on the blind vendors and the history of how that got started so anybody want to uh talk about chapter 13 please <laughs> Just a reminder to get those hands up in the air. Alt Y. Oh, there's Livy. All right. Go ahead, hey, Livy. You'll need to unmute. Okay, now now there you, you can, go. Yeah. Okay. Um I just again, that was another thing where you had no idea. Um I tell you somebody who probably would uh, be able to really speak on this as artists yes i was thinking about her when i was reading that chapter yeah and um uh, and actually i thought of a couple other people in our chapter that well one was roger hood he used to be a vendor uh -huh. back then and then of course tristan who's not in our chapter anymore but he's a vendor and you know the the i can remember you know hearing about the program and stuff and it was like, oh, well, this was business. So it had to do with, you know, I didn't know anything about business and stuff. So that's why I didn't do it. And looking back on it now, I maybe kind of wish I had because yeah. I may have done pretty good. Who knows? Yeah, you may have had some some opportunities. I know um, my husband was involved with the, BET, the business enterprise program um, in the 80s, in the early 80s. Um, and it was quite interesting. You know, they talked about the the um, people in the building um, basically sabotaging the vendors by putting in um, their own vending machines. And um, this was a really frustrating thing, um, as well as with my husband, what happened with him is that they would have uh, bake sales and they would sell um, donuts and coffee and undercut uh, the price that my husband sold in his vending stand. Um, so it was a, you know, kind of an ongoing war between the employees and the vendors, which was really kind of frustrating. You didn't know what what you could order um, just when you, you thought that, you know, you were, you were making a good business. Somebody would do something like that to undercut you. Um, and now I know that when I started working with um, a state hospital, I was shocked that the business enterprise program was not a part of that state hospital business. They were, and this was in 1998, 99, um, 98, they were um, giving the business to private um, business concerns. As well, um, the state prison system, um, I believe that they were supposed to use uh, blind vendors, but they weren't. 
And so how much is the BEP, how much is the Randolph Shepard Act not being followed? Um, but because, you know, people kind of really don't know what to do, um, you know, things are are happening that shouldn't be happening. And again, what a wonderful panel discussion that would be. And when you're ready, we have another raised hand. Okay. Herbie. Herbie. So I did the BEP program in Minnesota from 2007 to 2011. And now granted, I had some different misfortunes. Um, You know, I had, you know, I was, you know, I had pretty nice employees at both the locations I worked at, which was the post office and the um, EPA but the EPA was a small building and mm-hmm. the post office, as you know, it's losing people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I just did vending machines, not like the cafeteria, not a cafeteria or anything like that. But it's a lot harder than it looks, oh, yeah. really. And I think that to be successful at it, you've got to have a really good head for business, which... They trained me on how to do practical things, like be nice to customers, for instance. You know, I mean, that should be an obvious thing, but they train you on all that. But they it doesn't train you on how to make good decisions. Okay, what should you order if product isn't selling one week and then people miss it the next week and then they complain it's not in your machines? Well, you didn't order any last week because the stock was going down, so then... You're over, so you need to know how to be organized. You need to know how to make good judgment calls when ordering your supplies. Um, yeah, and the freshness, know, freshness, Some you know, guaranteeing dates. freshness. You know, it was not. You know, I could not see expiration dates, um, especially right. back then. I could probably do have some ease things a little bit easier today because. You know, back in the day, there was no Ira or Be My Eyes or, you know, calling a family member on FaceTime. Well, okay, that was Skype video by the time I left. I could have, you know, could start to do that. But um, with the smartphones, um, you know, I was lucky enough to at least have a barcode scanner. But it's, you've got to have a, I, 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 you've got to find the right type of person because it's not just owning machines and filling it. There's a lot of organization behind it. And I found that, you know... I was losing money every week, year, and I just did not have the organization. And then cleaning coffee machines, oh, what a nightmare that yeah. is. Yep. Oh That's one thing my husband complained about. And they would, those were the most profitable and the most problematic machines for me because they would break down half the time finally got a newer machine that was a lot more stable but still there was always you know I had to figure out what was going wrong and when things go wrong you lose money so yeah business enterprises I mean I'm not going to say you should people should or shouldn't do it but you know just knowing what's involved it's, and, it, it, and, it's very complex and that was just with vending machines and having a good backup plan, because my husband did have the cafeteria, and what do you do when your cook doesn't show up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, um, oh, well, yeah, we didn't even get to hired help. You know, I finally huh. had to succumb to that, because it's like, I never wanted to take a vacation, because if I went away, there was nobody 
hiring. And then finally, I ended up needing help temporarily. That was fine. And then I needed help a little bit more on a permanent basis where... um, Oh, yeah. Well, we can go into more situations because, like, you know, what I, the other reasons I was losing money in the wintertime, these sidewalks in Duluth, Minnesota were so covered with oh. snow in my work areas that there was no way I could take the bus there. So that was either, you know, that was a $7 cab trip one way just to the post office or a $15 cab trip one way to the EPA. Yeah. That's one way, and think it multiply that on a daily basis. And so, do you spend the money every day? Do you cut back to try to save money? I mean, the, I mean, if you live in the Houston, Texas, you're going to have different concerns. Yeah, and, right. and paratransit was very interesting there. So you had to book a week in advance, and you had to be precise with your timing. Be and yes. you also have to rely on your deliveries. Are they going to come in a timely manner? And th- there's just so many little variables that you have to take into consideration. It's really interesting how it goes. And then I also has to just haul supplies upstairs. Try you know you know try hauling cases of pop upstairs. That oh is yeah, not. Fun. And yep. just so you know, we have about eleven minutes. But okay, there are no other yeah, raised right. hands at the moment. I will okay. quickly mention that the I, they at least got me an electric cart, and that was my friend. But uh, oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. So, so I at least finally got that like two years into the thing, but uh, I did finally get it. So there's a lot behind the business enterprises program, and, and you know, part of me I think does miss it in a way, but I'm also glad that I'm out of it. So. I'd probably rather do it than like the math test I just did yesterday. Uh, so and and what about the um um when my husband I believe in the early in the you know late seventies early eighties um also you didn't pay into Social Security um and so did that change. Uh, there was a lot of taxes and stuff like that. We had to worry about city tax. We didn't. That has not changed. At least it did not when I was still doing vending. Um, but we did have like you know the city taxes, the state taxes, and then they demand their pound of flesh. The federal taxes wasn't too, weren't too bad actually. I actually made money off of those. I got I made so little money that I think I got most of it back in refunds. So that wasn't too so, bad. But did were did were you able to pay into social security for yourself? No. Yeah, that's kind of but I will say this much, you know, I'm surprised you, I don't know if your husband ever had to deal with any of these cuz we heard stories about some of the things people could do to vending machines back in the day when you know you didn't have computers so i you know we heard stories about slugs you could uh, put in and oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> there's there was a lot more ways to cheat the uh, vendor than even i had to contend with um the, but i'd heard of i've definitely heard, even in our day there was definitely horror stories of people at, like vending machines getting vandalized and other locations where the public had access and stuff like that. Um, I was fortunate in that I actually dealt with just the employees and not the actual, uh, actual public. Um, but, uh, I've heard of stories like people lighting dollar bills on fire and putting it into the machine. Yeah. Like in the courthouses and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Um, when, 
um, they had other um, blindness occupations. Um, I know that there was a lot of um, small engine repair, um, refrigeration, um, uh, air conditioner, refrigeration jobs, um, medical transcribers, uh, um, a lot of those kind of jobs were um, basically showcased. Um, and then um, they talked about how the Canadian, um, what is it, CNIB, um, the Canadian group, they would train people for certain occupations and then those people would come um, back into the United States um, and get their jobs in in the U.S. But it was interesting that um, Canada um, kind of got into the forefront of of training people for uh, business opportunities. And I also was surprised that insurance underwriting was um, uh, one of the early uh, blindness-related jobs. All right. So um, any other last comments regarding chapters all the way through chapter 13 of this book? So Herbie put his hand up again. Um, I'm not sure if he had something or. Yes. Okay. I was just going to comment that I think part of the, what's interesting about our country is, and the reason why it's not to me so surprising that other countries like Canada sometimes can be leaders in some of these types of things is, Especially from a government standpoint, you know, we have a lot of belief in independence and doing things for yourself. And so we've had, you know, there's, you have to push for a lot of these things to come in place because of that. And so that, you know, translates also into blindness training and stuff like that. You know, if your mindset is, oh, everybody should pull themselves up by their bootstraps, you're not thinking about, okay, how are you going to train blind people how to do things? But then you go to a country like Canada or the UK where there's a little bit more Mm -hmm. of a socialist mentality. And and I'm not saying one form of government is better over the other, by the way, guys. I'm just Right, they're different. They're different, and that's all I'm talking about. But I think one of the consequences of that is maybe it makes it a little bit more easier for some of these things that seem obvious to us to come more to the forefront because their systems are better set up for that type of thing. So that's yes. my thinking on that, why some countries are, are, are ahead in or get a head start. Thank you. Uh, hey, this is Can you hear me? Yes. I just want to say I was so afraid Trump was going to take away blind benefits. I really was. Yeah, well, you it know. ain't over till it's over. <laughs> There's okay. the, I think it would actually really take an act of Congress to truly. I know, I'm kidding, but you yeah, know. I I know. <laughs> we just can't rest on our laurels because a lot of what we have had in the past is being decreased and and taken away and Uh so we really need to um looking at at this book 
You know, this book was written basically almost 50 years ago. And uh, I think about the history between then and now, and especially um, the fights for some of these things um, aren't much different than they were. Um, you know, we've lost, um, we've lost some, some ground. And um, Beth has her hand up. We have about ahead, five Beth. minutes. So mm-hmm. Thank you. I was just gonna say, like, um, like our state, um, especially with older workers, um, yeah, I, you know, they they don't like the workshops, and I don't care that much about competing in sighted employment. Uh, Most people over over fifty or whatever just kind of want to supplement their social security, you know, and. they're like, no, you have to be mainstream and sit in workforce and all this crap. And uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't really like that. You know, I mean, I guess you could work from home and stuff like that, but not everybody is really tech savvy to do that. And then I, I wanted to go into massage therapy, and they're like, oh, but the market is so saturated with you know, blind massage therapists. And I said, so in Japan, all, all their, all their masseuse people are blind anyways, you know, and, and I don't know, it's like DVR wants you to do what they want you to do kind of sort of. And I don't, that's not really right. Um, there's a lot of people who really like working in the workshops mm-hmm. and now like our our state doesn't have those no more. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if you're an older worker and, and then you you say, well, ooh, you know, I don't want to lose my social security and then I don't want to, you know, I just want to supplement it. Right. All right. Thank you. So we have about a couple of minutes left. And um, so our next chapter is on the workshops chapter 14 and the magna carta of the blind which is the randolph shepherd act is chapter 15 and so we'll read um chapter 14 and 15 um for our next call january 4th and I would like to thank all of you who joined the call and all of you who are listening out in ACB land. And I would like to thank Larry for streaming, Larry Gassman and Chanel Allen for hosting. And I appreciate all of you. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. And we'll see you in next, next year in 2022. ACB community. History book. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you. Yep. Happy holidays. Yep. (laughs) Bye. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Bye.